Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. We thank you for joining us. We ask you to join in worship and then work with us as we go to the Word. We believe that all people are on a journey and each of us is working toward the next step. Our next steps are not necessarily the same as everyone's life is unique and everyone's journey is unique, but we can work together to propel ourselves to the next spot in our journey. Won't you reach new heights in Jesus with us today? Distractions, struggles, 
uh, still have to deal with money, which can be a, a god in your life if you're not careful. And you still have to deal with uh, personal opinions and uh, seeking encouragement from other people. Uh, still have to deal with broken relationships. Still have to deal with health concerns. Still, just the list goes on and on. Odds are, God's the only one who actually knows the way it's supposed to go. Because there's so many things to confuse us and get us caught up. Um, just want to just celebrate. It's August, believe it or not. Time has flown by. I don't know where the month of July went. It was here. There was a few days in there, I remember. And then it was gone. So either I, I'm developing a bit of senility, which I hope is not the case, or time is moving very rapidly. So we also did, during the month of July, have a great opportunity for outreach. We did three block parties. We saw several people come to Christ uh, and people recommit their lives. And uh, then we did freezer pops at the park a number of times. We did football uh, drinks a number of times. We uh, had a number of people go out in the community, prayer walking, and just walking and talking to anybody that they would run into. We did knocking on doors. We did flyering. We did a ton of outreach activities and just kind of letting people know. And we need to be, if you're going to be the kingdom of God and God's going to be on your side, you need to be one of the biggest splashes in the pond. And that's going to be tough because... There, the media, social media, phone calls, telemarketers, you name it, everything like that, they are always appealing to people. And I'm not saying we're going to replace that, and we're definitely not going to be doing it by their methods. But if we love people with the gospel, not to get ahead of the day, if we love people with the gospel, we're going to be taking it out there and talking to people, reaching out to people, and caring about what's going on and trying to lead them to the Lord. And that's, that is what Christianity is. And so if you're not involved at all, in reaching out to your neighbors, reaching out to your friends, reaching out to your families on behalf of Jesus. If you're not involved at all with the ministry of reconciliation, which Paul says the ministry of reconciliation basically is us bringing people back together with God. That's it. If you're not involved with that at all, then you should be questioning whether you're actually in the kingdom, whether you're part of the kingdom of man. So that is what God gives us to do. That is what we have now been asked to do for the remainder of our days. Not the only thing, obviously, there's a lot to go on, but it is... Everything is tied to that. That is a core, uh, a pillar. You've got to be involved. And so, that being said, I would hope that though July has come and passed and we put a lot of effort in, that this month and every month you would look for an opportunity to love on your neighbors with the gospel, to talk to anybody you possibly can. As you gain an ear, say, hey, you know, where are you at spiritually? Where, where are you at with the Lord? And, and if they say, oh, I've been a Christian for a long time, whatever, make sure you clarify that they know what that means and that they truly are saved by at least their own estimation. You can't judge people's salvation. Best to assume probably that they are not saved and share the gospel. And if it turns out they're saved, then you gain a brother or sister. And if you don't assume that, and, or if you just assume that they are saved and you don't do that, then you, you gain somebody to talk lightly to, somebody to have a relationship that's not all that important. Maybe you can help them, they can help you, business partners, associates, whatever, but not working together in the team advance. And I've always believed that God has prepared people attached to our church to get involved, who uh, not, not just they're looking for a new church. We have folks who help our church who are not in our church, and that's okay. Advance the king because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to continue the ministry of reconciliation in the month of August. And then September, and then October, and then November, and then December, and then January, and on and on and on. Every month, look at opportunities to practice the ministry of reconciliation, outreach to people and share Jesus with them. Okay? So, we're celebrating. We're especially grateful for all of you who work together. Almost everybody in this room was actively participating in multiple events. 
I don't think there's anybody in this room that didn't do at least at least five events in the, in the month of July. So you got more than you can count on one hand. And I know that there were people who did a ton. There were people who were involved in everything. I know Alicia worked very hard purchasing, organizing, uh, outreach within the body to help people and like that. And uh, that was extremely stressful. At the same time, she went through some health concerns. Whenever you set out to you know, serve the Lord, the enemy's got to have his way. You know, he's going to get in there and try to mess with it. So she went through some health concerns and some stressful time in the middle of that. But God had brought her through, brought us through, and praise God. That's all I can say. It all comes down to we have new and more and greater reasons to praise Him today than we did at the beginning of July. And that'll always be true. If you're serving God, there's always going to be new and greater reasons. But then that should motivate us to praise, which is what this is all about. Okay? So there are no meetings today, per se. Spend time with your family. Um, pray for me and for the young people. We have a couple of young people in here who are going to camp tomorrow morning. And then we have six additional who are not with New Heights. They're from the city of Toledo and they, that do not currently have a third home. And so these are young men in the ages of 10 and 13 who are going and going to hear a lot about God. They're going to church every day, essentially, to do that. They're going to be playing sports, going to be swimming, going to the pond, canoeing, kayaking, you know, the whole thing. Got, then they have some professional Christian athletes who are coming to speak with them. Uh, professional NFL football players will be there to speak with them. And basically, it's all about what it means to be a man following God. That's what that week is about. And so it's a big deal. It's going to be a lot of fun for them. But at the same time, they're going to get a lot of opportunity to hear about God and, and, and I think hear God through other people. And so... I'm excited, but I'm also a little bit nervous because I'm going, as of right now, I'm going by myself. Arden may accompany me. He's trying to work out one last thing. If he, if he can, he's going to go. Otherwise, I'm going by, by myself with eight, eight young boys, six of whom I have barely met. I met them like three minutes. So, total so far. So, it's going to be an interesting thing. And then there's actually going to be 38 boys there, not just the ones that we're going. So, it's going to be really cool. And, uh, and then, of course, I have to put down a lot of things that I normally do during the week and focus on what I'm doing there. And so I ask for prayers for me as I do that. And I felt like this was a way that God would let me pour into their lives and the Christian All right. Did anybody else have a request you'd like to throw up there today? We have a number. I know there's a lot of people praying for it. People in our body are having health concerns. Um, Chad and his family, which is from where uh, Tony works. Behind me somewhere, showing that up Oh, that's right. There is a meeting today. I apologize. I rescind that. So I, just, I sucked it back in. There is a meeting. It's a God's Kids meeting. So if you are a participant in any way or want to know what's going on or give input on how God's Kids goes, he is especially starting a new, he wants to start a new incentive program. And so he is planning on having a meeting after church today to talk about that, to kind of like get the kids motivated and, and uh, memorizing memorizing Bible verses and various other things they do. And you may have some suggestions, and we have some experts in the room who have done a lot of that in the past. You may have some suggestions you want to show up, or at least for that part of that, okay? And he's running late, and so we're assuming that that's still going on. So pray for him, okay? And he'll be here shortly. All right. So let's pray together, and then as I said, we have many, many reasons, more reasons today, I want to say it this way, more reasons today than ever, and tomorrow will be that way too, but more reasons today than ever to praise our God, all right? Father in heaven, I do thank you so much for just bringing us together, for getting us over the humps and the hurdles, for pushing aside the temptations and distractions. you understand the strength to abide in you, the power to walk forward in you, the steps that we can take in you, that they are made possible 
by your existence, by your presence in us, by your presence in us when we come together as a collective body. Lord, we ask special blessings upon those who are still on the way here, who are struggling this morning. I, I know uh, you saw me through when I couldn't find my car keys this morning, and I left them in the ignition. And I, so anybody could have stopped by my house and stole my van, and thankfully no one did. And I, I'm grateful, Lord, that uh, we were able to overcome that hurdle. I know that there are hurdles, there are struggles, and this human life seems to be filled with human things. And we know it's not really about human things, it's about spiritual things. So now, Lord, we're asking you to help us turn this time over to you. You conduct us, you lead us, you guide us, you work through these servants who are prepared to play and to sing. You work through us as we try to bring you glory and honor and praise. And we can't do it the way you deserve it, but we know you deserve it. And so we ask you, Lord, to take over and lead it in that direction. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
some of the Bible promises that follow meditation. We have meditation as our 
spiritual discipline through the month of November, and we've been talking a lot about it. Last week we actually did a kind of did a meditation together. So I hope by now you kind of are getting the gist of what meditation is. There's about a hundred different ways you can do it, but largely it means taking your focus off everything else and putting it on the Word, putting it on. And the easiest way I think to do it is to put it on a specific verse or a passage of scripture and really think about what it is that God would do in you, what he's changing in you or in your life, how you see it play out, that kind of thing. But of course that's not the only way, right? You can also focus on a leaf. Now, you don't want to do meditation like the world does meditation, so you would want to focus on that leaf and how it fits in with what God is telling us and that kind of thing. But here in the verses that we're talking about today, the psalmist is specifically talking about meditating on God's word. And here's what it says. This is from Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. A lot of people memorize that verse, and I do recommend doing that if you can, because it's, it's cool to be able to meditate on that verse. There's so much in there. Then verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now it's talking about the man, right, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the path of sinners, but rather, or nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's talking about that guy, his delight, what, he, what makes him happy, what brings him joy, what fulfills him, what lifts him up, what makes him strong, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, that's God's law, he meditates day and night. So the one who, get this, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the path of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord, he meditates on that law day and night. Presumably not just one day and one night a week, right? But day and night, so all day long. Now, I'm going to say to you, you can't walk around living your life like this, right? You can't have the Bible out in front of you, so you're probably going to need some memorization, to do that, or at the very least, some basic ideas. So you don't have to memorize the verse. Um, so without telling me what the verse says, don't quote the verse from memory, but tell me what John 3.16 says. Without, don't, do, don't do it from memory. But basically, what does it say? Somebody. John 3.16, come on. Okay, God, she said, God loved us enough to send his son to save us. If you had that, you could meditate on that, right? Now, that would not literally be worth the word meditating on the scripture, but it would be sufficient. So, if you read enough, get enough Bible intake, right, even though you may not memorize it, you kind of know, I, some of you say this all the time, i got all these verses that I know, but I don't know the address. You don't have to know the address, right? You don't have to know the reference, exactly where to find it necessarily. But if you have some thoughts that are in your head, ingrained in you, that is what God would say on a topic, then that's something you can meditate on. But ideally, here, it points out, this, this guy, the guy who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, because he doesn't take advice or direction from people who are against God, does not stand in the path of sinners, because he doesn't do the thing, doesn't walk the way that would lead him to do the things that he shouldn't do. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, he doesn't sit back and go, well, I don't have to worry about that, or that's not me, or ignore God, or, or say bad things about God, or what God is trying to teach us to do, or anything like that. He doesn't mock God. He takes God very seriously. 
This guy delights in the law of the Lord, and so he meditates day and night. And then the rest of this is essentially the benefits. Okay? Now, I understand those first three things are pretty important parts. Right? They're, they are, he's blessed because he doesn't walk that way, he doesn't stand there, he doesn't sit there, right? And he delights in the law of the Lord. But then he meditates, and the benefits that come are like this. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Notice he's going to be sustained. He's going to be taken care of like a tree that's by water. The tree which yields its fruit in its season. In other words, going to be producing the right thing at the right time. And then he, he contrasts it. He said, oh no, he finishes the thought. He says, and its leaf does not wither. In other words, you're not going to die off. You're going to continue to be strong and able, a beacon, if you will, be able to be seen, be okay. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So whatever he puts his hand to, it works. Now notice, that would be even if it wasn't specifically of God. It says whatever he puts his hand to will work, even though it might not be a God thing. Got it? And then, he, and then he goes on to say, the wicked are not so, for they are like chaff which the wind drives away. That's the part of the wheat that you don't need. They toss it up in the air and it blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I submit to you, the psalmist is saying, the way of the righteous includes meditating on God's word, loving and delighting in the law of the Lord, and not falling into those other traps. Okay? So that's just one example, an encouragement. There are many in Scripture. I don't know how many we'll look at. I just felt led to look at that one today. So if you didn't meditate on the Word of God this week, you can know with an absolute certainty that you missed a blessing. So do it. Take the time. As the Lord leads you, right? Not because I told you to, but because Scripture says it's right. Not because you feel compelled to. Not angrily. So you go, oh man, I've got to set a time, time, time out and meditate on Scripture. You can do it while you're driving. A lot of times I'll, I, I'm driving down the road and the radio's on. We were driving up Sharon and I was driving down the road the other day and the radio was on and she went through like seven radio channels and every single one was somebody talking. There's no music. We're looking for music. She's like, where's the music? Normally, if I'm driving by myself and I get to the second station, I just turn the radio off and I will pray. And I say I'm praying, but truthfully I'm praying and meditating on the Word. Okay? And it's a natural transition. You start whatever, wherever you're at. The truth is, if you got a little Bible in you, you get bored, meditate. You get, you understand. And this has been a big thing for me. I'm, as you know, I'm characteristically impatient. Before I got saved, my human side, I was extremely impatient. And so I have some patience now because God has been building that in me. And so now, this is what I've done. Just this time. We did, not even the first time we did this, about four years ago, we went through meditation. I didn't start doing it. But now, just this last few weeks, every time I start feeling myself getting impatient because of lines, impatient because of traffic, Whatever it used to be, I would pray, and there's nothing wrong with praying. But now I'm praying, and I begin to meditate. And as I'm meditating and picking up thoughts in my head, guess what happens? Well, soon the time has passed. I'm still meditating, and the line is gone, the cars are gone, whatever. I'm still meditating, and I don't feel impatient at all. And, and it's a way, it's a tool, right? It's a spiritual discipline. You can use that to overcome whenever you think the time is not going the way you would want it to go. Like right now, let's say. You're sitting there, you go, man, Pastor Dan's talking too much. I'm bored. You should be meditating on Scripture. <laughs> right? There you go. Get into the sermon. You go, I got this sermon down. Pastor Dan's talking about something I already know. You should be meditating on Scripture. There was a period of time I was in a church and I was getting a sermon every week and the pastor was speaking from God. I had no doubt about it. 
But God was calling us to move out of that church, and I, I didn't know that yet, and taking us to a new place, and I was having trouble. And for month after month after month, every Sunday morning, I would feel like, oh yeah, I kind of get what he's getting at, but I'd be in the scripture, and God would take me to another spot. And every Sunday, I was empowered by that pastor who was lifting me up and encouraging me, because he was faithful, but he was just guiding me to what God really wanted. It may not, the text I have chosen for today may not be the text. It may not be the one that's going to speak to your life, but I will guarantee you, if you're faithful, prayerful, and meditating during that time, God will speak to your heart. He will change your life. Even if what I read isn't what changes it, He will change your life. Because He's faithful every time to do that. If you're willing to meditate on Scripture. Okay. Marshall for meditation over. Hopefully you did this week meditate or pray or watch as you walked or saw something or heard, read your Bible, whatever, and you got something you'd like to share. So there's got to be at least a few of us. Brother Jason, be ready. All right. Let's hear it. So I just, while you were talking about meditation, I had a little thought about meditation, a little meditation about meditation. Meditation about meditation, okay. I, uh, I'm going to meditate on what you're about to say. <laughs> I truly believe that the Holy Spirit works with the word that we get inside of us. Uh -huh. And when we meditate on it, I just had this thought of like, uh, you know how when you're playing like Yahtzee or something like that, you throw the dice? Uh -huh. Well, the Holy Spirit can work like that with our meditation. Where every time you meditate on it, say like you're picking the dice up and you're throwing something different. Yeah. Like you show you different aspects and stuff like that. And it's it becomes what the proverb says, wisdom is like a game to the wise. Mm -hmm. It almost like become like a game and a fascination. Uh, that's like the mind frame that we should walk into. And then I seen another uh, when when we came in here, I seen this field of wheat. And I remember Jesus saying that he said, Look at the fields, how they're white for the harvest already. And I, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. And I just I just had this thought of, like, everybody in here is that grain of wheat, including myself. We're all alive, and we all have the mind of uh, the thoughts and the, and the desires of God in our mind. And uh, it's just, I don't know how to complete that, just other than, you know, we already know, like, if we just, uh, there's so much potential that we have in here. And then I, I was thinking, I was meditating on Revelation 2 this week, too, where Jesus said that uh, we should look at, like, if we ever make it somewhere with God and we fall a little bit, he said, repent and go back to that, where you're at. It's Revelation 2, 5, uh, read it here. Therefore, keep in mind how far you have fallen. Repent and perform the deeds you did at first, but if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And I had this uh, little vision of the thought from the, from the Holy Spirit. And he showed me, I was seeing this sanctuary here. And he showed me like, what picture, imagine this sanctuary as like our, our soul. And when the, and before the Lord comes in, this thing is pitch dark. We don't know where the instruments are, we don't know where the chairs are. But when the Lord, we receive the Lord, this awesome lampstand and light comes in right in the center of it. And for the first time in our lives, we're able to see everything and where it is, where it was, and where it should have been, and move stuff around perfectly. That's like being born again. That's why everything's brand new, because it is. We're being able to see for the first time what's inside of us. But uh, he said, we're moving our lampstand. So I just want to speak on that a little bit. Like when we entertain something in our mind that allows something to move in that doesn't agree with that light, it's almost like if we don't deal with it right away, that Lord will take that light again and stuff it in the corner over here. And then there's only light in that little spot that the rest starts to become darker and darker and darker. 
when that light is in the center where it should be, that's a picture of us being in perfect peace and perfect joy and a perfect fellowship with God almost. You know, we're not perfect, but He makes it perfect if we allow Him to. And uh, if, we're, if we're lacking kind of peace or we're lacking joy at all, then we need to ourselves, you know, Jesus said, unless somebody's stronger than what's taking up residence comes and drives that out, then how's it going to go out? So we got to become stronger ourselves through repentance and through, Jesus said, what he said, he said, repent and go back to doing what you were doing at first. And then uh, that will help, you know, get back to that depths of peace and joy that we're looking for. So that's what I'm going to share. Man, that's all good stuff. And you're to think about it. Praise the Lord. Okay, anybody else? Side with Jesus, he's not a myself. I'm side with God, I'm side with Him. And what a great 
advocate that stands with us, you know, and, and Jesus intercedes with us. I just find it so encouraging in those moments. And so, um, when I come here, the, the, there's three places God really speaks to me. And I say God can't speak to everybody. Of course, the Word. But, like, my kids again, when I'm talking to my kids, I hear from them more than anything. Here, just in the sanctuary, you know, I was just hearing from them just now. So I'm thankful for what the Foundation Unites does and what Unites brings to this table. That's all of us, including me. That allows God to just say, yeah, I was already here. Get to hear what I have to say. It's so awesome. Hope you get happiness in your heart for that. Smile in there. It's awesome. But anyways, I was talking to my kids last night. And we went to Cedar Point and went to the water park. And uh, I was talking to my kids. I said something. When I said it, it was like talking to them. God's talking directly to me. And, he's, and uh, um, my son, Nehemiah, he'll do whatever he wants. The first moment he thinks of it, he says he does it. We'll find out a little more why he does it. Everyone wants to know about Nehemiah and stuff that's going on. Come talk to me. Hope you pray with me with him. But uh, anyways, and I, I told Naomi the same thing. I said, I said, don't listen to yourself. Listen to who is right. And I was like, that is so weird for a kid that age to understand me. And I was like, but I just keep saying over and over. Someday, you know, God will speak to them something that makes sense to them. But it's not, not going to change it. I'm going to say the same thing every time. But I'm like, oh, God was going to speak to me. Yeah, same way. Because the word listen is actually take it in. You know, we can hear things. We can hear people. We hear everything they say. Well, even, even the enemy might speak to us. But you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to follow through. Take it in. You know, but listen to who is right. And I said, I said, who's right right now? You, dad, mom. You know, and, uh, and my kids, I love to think about it for a second. And said, I said, right now, what's right is the right thing to do. And so it was helping them, you know, not just to hear something that's going to Because it's kind of like, you know, the, the childlike attitude today of doing the wrong thing. You know, we, we, we hear something that's going to But childlike faith is patiently hearing me. And then, okay, I'm going to do this because I believe in what you said. I believe in who you are. Amen. All right. I've just been reminded multiple times this week how blessed we really are and how many things we miss the busyness and the busyness of life. Um, Arjun and I decided to take a day yesterday. We took the boys to the Seneca County Fair. They saw lots of things that they had never seen before. They saw the tractor pull. They were completely confused. They loved it once they understood what was going on. Um, and then, so we got up early. We got there by 10 a.m. Um, saw the tractor pole, saw some animals, rode some rides. Um, and then we weren't going to stay the whole day, but they really wanted to see the demolition derby, so we stayed and got home at 1 o'clock in the morning. We were literally there all day. So, But it was a lot of fun to spend time with the family to get a day away, and we talked about some things with the kids, and they got to see lots of animals. Zayden was loving the animals, things that they normally don't get to see that are right around the corner. We live in Perrysburg. There are people that own horses right down the street, and our kids don't see that. There's things out there in God's creation, in the world, that we miss because we're driving right by it, focusing on what we're supposed to be doing, what we think we're supposed to be doing, and not paying attention to the small things that may bring inspiration, that may bring light or joy to us and to our children when we're Amen. This, as you were speaking, the Spirit said this to me, and that is that as we follow the Lord, uh, we will miss more than most people have. 
and we will have more than we ever could. Let's see multipliers and, and total items and stuff. Alright, so we're going to pray at this time. Hey Jason, how'd you like to pray for us? Did you do that? Okay, and then remember the tithes and offerings, alright? Let's do that.
I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I know a lot of guys do, my sons do. Um, and I know people who have gotten into trouble with it, watching too much of it, being distracted watching it when they should be focused on what it is that, that God would have them to do. Um, I also know that there's a lot of stuff on YouTube that uh, even adults probably should not see. But that being said, this last week, uh, in preparation for this sermon, I uh, felt led of the Lord, and I wound up on YouTube watching a channel uh, that basically was amazing things that people can do. And I thought about how amazing human beings are, even compared to all the rest of creation, which is amazing and large and varying, but human beings are amazing. There was a video, uh, there was a video of a young lady, she's probably about 12, 13 years old or something, and she was laying on her face like she was on a pillow on the ground and she had her hands next to her head, and then she put her feet up over and touched her feet, not just her toes, but her feet on the ground next to her head. So she literally curled up like this and put her feet next to her head. And I thought, that is weird. She must be the only person in the world that can do that. And then as I was watching the video, they showed six other people during the video that could do that. And I'm like, that is just bizarre. They showed this guy on the beach doing a handstand. And, and so he was completely on his hands. His head was not on the ground. He was doing a handstand with perfect balance. And then he lowered himself down so that his head was on the ground and he bent over in the middle so that his ribs were touching like on, on his shoulders where his shoulder was against his head. So he sort of stacked himself up in the middle and then he picked his hands up so that he was standing on his head in the sand and his whole body was standing on his head in perfect balance. They showed this lady who was on a ping pong table and she was on the ping pong table on her arms like this. And she had her middle bent up and over and back and her legs were up in the air and she had towels, like hand towels, twirling on her feet. And she could keep them twirling like this on her feet as she was balancing on her hands. Uh, you've seen amazing, amazing sports plays. Incredible, incredible things that people can do. I submit to you that while these things are incredible, they are not as incredible as the things that people can do that only God can allow them to do. Dust. That's what we are. Very creative, very intelligent in some cases, and also kind of stupid in other cases. And sometimes I, am, I feel like I'm intelligent, sometimes I feel like I'm stupid. And my guess is I probably get those two times mixed up sometimes. Like sometimes I think I'm being very smart, when actually I'm being kind of stupid. Sometimes I think I'm being very dumb, when actually I'm being very smart. Dust. Talented, amazing, Capable dust. That's what we are. Do you remember when God created Adam? Hope you've read that story. I don't know that I... I probably have preached out of it, but it's been a decade at least. When God created Adam, He formed him out of the dust. And then God did something that was different from all the rest of creation that God did when He brought Adam to life. Do you remember what He did? Does anybody remember? Not a rhetorical question. What did He do with Adam after He formed him out of the dust? Yeah, he breathed into him and Adam became a living being. So from the moment that we were created and shaped out of dust, we have had the possession of something in us that is an amazing thing that allows us to do amazing things. And so 
without God from the beginning, nobody could balance on their head, nobody could do a push-up, nobody could throw a football, nobody could fire a gun, nobody could skulk around in the woods, right? Nobody could encourage, nobody could literally do it. It was like, if you went to the beach and you made a man out of sand, that's what it looked like, except it was just dust. Probably bits of the earth. It might not even have been sand, right? And then God breathed into that dust and that dust became alive. And so all of these amazing things that people could do, they couldn't do without God in them because they would be dust, right? But it goes further than that because now God has desired, God has wanted to, and he's done it before, but he's done it in much more numbers and across the board since Jesus, God has desired to his Holy Spirit take up residence in human beings, And so there's going to be some things that human beings can do because they have God's Holy Spirit in them in this way, having been saved, that they would not otherwise be able to do. And we're going to look at kind of one of those things today. And then I've been strongly convicted this week in particular that sometimes we look at what we are supposed to do or what God wants to do through us without getting some very practical and intentional steps on how we can do that. And so we're going to have some, by the time we're done, we're going to have some very practical and intentional steps, and they will be, they're not going to be for somebody, somebody specific, they're going to be for all of us, on how we can do this one thing that God would have us to do, that we can do because the Holy Spirit is in us, that the, that the world cannot do. Okay? And so if you'll grab your Bibles and go with me with that thought in mind, that question, if you will, lingering in your head, Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Amen. Thank you very much. This little section here that's super excited about God's Word today. RJ, are you super excited about God's Word today? All right. Sherry, are you super excited about God's Word today? All right. Brother Tim, are you super excited about God's Word today? All right, he gave me a thumbs up over there. All right. So we're going to read 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to use a bit of Scripture, but I won't, I'll, I'm going to flow through some of it kind of fast. So if you can keep up and flip like that, it's, all, it's uh, pretty much all New Testament. Uh, except for the last one, then you're welcome to. But in the interest of time, I'm not going to like drill down on every scripture, but I'll quote a few things as we go through this, okay? So this is going to be First Peter, beginning in chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. A new thought sort of occurs here. Now, he's been talking about how it is that we have been redeemed and the cost of it, and because of that, how important it is that we live according to knowing that God it was God who raised him from the dead and... And essentially who has raised us from the dead, okay? And then in 22, he says, since you have, so it's not the, the before, that since is not before, that like since that has happened, but now since something else has happened, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God. Okay, so it's a long run-on sentence. Paul gets a bad rap in the New Testament for writing a lot of run-on sentences, and he does do that. If you go look at Ephesians chapter 1, like the huge long sentences that he writes. The reason it's like that is because it's simpler in the Greek. One word represents like five or six, and they have to nail it down in the English to make it broken down. Here in Peter, every single bit of this is packed with original language. He's being very precise, and he's writing an intentionally long sentence to nail it down to something that God has done that we cannot do unless God has done his thing in us. 
Okay? So this is what it says. Since you have in obedience to the truth, in other words, you figured out what was right, and because you figured out what was right, you have done this. And the this is purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Now, I know you're going to say only God can purify our souls, right? And essentially that's true. He does it through us. I'm not going to contradict you on that point. But James writes it this way. In James 4.8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay, so in other words, you, you pull close to God, seek out God, search for God, live for God. And the more you do that, the more God will draw near to you. That's what he says. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, stop your activities that are contrary to God. Stop your sin. Stop being wicked like you were. Do what's right. Make yourself right. And he says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so in other words, he's saying this is something that we do. Now you can argue that you can't do it without God and I'm not going to disagree with you. But James is telling us, do this. And it is, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so in other words, we think one thing, we do another thing. That's what double-minded means. You have an idea, and then, like Brother Tony Tate said in an inspirational moment today, sometimes we have this idea, and we just do it quickly. We're like, jump right into it. We do what we probably shouldn't even do. That's bad, right? At the same time, we're over here going, but I'm a follower of God. I love the Lord. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And then we get an idea to do something, and we jump in and do it. That, too, makes us double-minded. Or we say, I'm going to witness, or I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, but then opportunity comes and God's like, okay, here it is. I'm setting it up for you. I teed it up for you. Hit this one. Here's the person. Bring it up. Bring up Jesus. Bring me up. Come on. You can do it. And we're busy or we're distracted or we're intimidated or whatever. And we don't do it. You're double-minded. So double-minded means when you have two thoughts, two ideas, two competing agendas, two different choices in your mind. And one of them, hopefully, is what God would want. If you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, one of them is what God would want. And if you're not then you're not probably double-minded, you're probably a hundred-minded, or you're all over the place, right? Or you're battling back between what the world wants and what might be good for you, or whatever. But when you follow Jesus, it's like everything else and Jesus. And we have these two agendas. And this, again, James 4, 8, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get it under control. Purify your hearts. Cleanse and and work to do the necessary work to set your heart free to follow God. That's what he's saying. Make it clean. And he's not saying let God make it clean. He didn't say pray God will make your heart clean. Right? But the two-step process here would be, number one, draw near to God, at which point he will draw near to you, and then cleanse your hands. Do, do the things that you're supposed to be doing. Wash off the things of the world, the things that you're not supposed to be doing. Get rid of those things. And in there... Your mind should become single purpose. Your mind should become one agenda. And instead of going, oh, well, I think maybe when you're supposed to be doing what God wants you to do, you'll do what God wants you to do. That's the practical steps that James has given us. And he's telling us to do this, which means we can do it. We are called to do it, to purify our hearts, though we may be double-minded. Okay, now back for a minute, at least into 1 Peter, all right? And this is how far we've gotten. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. So in other words, we have done this. Since we have done this, now 
something, right? He says, fervently love one another. So in other words, since we have made it possible, because we've purified our hearts, our souls, the center of our beings, the same, same word there in the Greek, I think, meaning is clear, we can now love the brethren. And he says, fervently love one another from the heart. Okay? So, two words for love. The first word is brotherly love. And in fact, when it says in the first verse, the first section of the verse, and it says, since you have um, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere, and you see the phrase there, love of the brethren, that, that's Philadelphia, which is a kind of love. It's brotherly love, right? It's a single word, Philadelphia. And it means Christian love for one another, right? A brotherly love. Or you could have this for the brother you grew up with. If, if you had healthy relationships in your family, then you could have this for your brother. You could have a brotherly love, right? But it, it's ta- he's talking about, this is written to the church, he's talking about love between brothers and sisters in Christ. Since we've purified our souls for a f- sincere love of the brethren, then he says, fervently love one another. Now this is a different word. This is agape love. Okay? And he says, love one another from the heart. Okay? And when he says fervently, we're talking about, uh, there's a specific word that he's using there. And that specific word, uh, basically, it's ectonos, and it means stretched out. Right? And, and so it's the idea of being stretched or pushed, or in Jesus' case, his arms were stretched out. Right? How much did Jesus love you? This much. Right? So the idea of what, he, of what Peter is saying is we're supposed to stretch ourselves to love, and it's agape love, and if any of you who have been through the marriage Bible study material that I do understand agape love, hopefully from that teaching, we're very, we dig down hard on it in that, but what it actually means is you love that, it's a choice, an intentional choice to love that person, it has nothing to do with what the other person does. It doesn't matter how they behave, it doesn't matter if they are physically harming you, at that time, you would be thinking about you would be directing yourself to love that person. I'm going to love them. I'm going to willfully make choices, right? So somebody is saying a, a harsh word to you, and instead of coming back with, with defending yourself, protecting yourself, whatever, you're thinking about how you're going to love that person, right? So if somebody's in sin, instead of thinking about, oh, they're in sin, I'm not going to have anything to do with them anymore, you should be thinking about, okay, how can I help them get away from the sin that they're in? Right? How can I help them get on the road? How can I help, how can I love them while they're on that road? Right? And again, this is all directed at the brothers and sisters in Christ. This is written in the context of the church. So he's saying, and let's hear it again, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. In other words, because you have done that for a sincere love of the brethren, so that you can have a sincere love, a Philadelphia love, a Christian love, a godly love, a church love, uh, a called out of the darkness love, fervently stretched out, push yourself, go beyond your limits, love one another, choose to love, actions of love, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. In other words, he says, this is true, or do this, because you now know, you have seen that you have been Born again, started over fresh, you are a new person. 
So you could say out of there, so we don't love the way the world loves. So you're not going to run out. You're going to be taken care of. While you're loving people who won't love you back, you're going to be blessed by the Lord from the inside. You're going to be taken care of. God is going to make sure you're okay because you've been born again by an imperishable seed. And if Jesus be stretched out for us in love, if Jesus loved us when we were still sinners, right? That's what it says. And so if he be stretched out that way, he could do that because he knew. If, if Abraham be commanded to kill his son, he could do that because he knew. There is something imperishable about our God. There is something that you cannot be, you cannot be used up. You cannot be spent. You cannot run out. There is more left of you than you ever can know. Because God is going to provide the imperishable you. So he said, For or because you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. So born again like that, we have in us a living and abiding word of God. That's the method that God used to do that. Okay? For or because all flesh is like grass. Okay, I get it. By now you should too. Your body is dying. We're suffering. Right? It's not going the way we want. We weigh more than we'd like to, or we're not as strong as we'd like to, or our liver don't work anymore, or our blood sugar is wrong, or our it just goes on and all flesh is like grass. Your body will die. And it says all and all its, that's the body or the flesh, all its glory like the flower of the grass. So whatever you get, whatever accolades you get in this lifetime, whatever good thoughts you have about yourself, whatever good thoughts other people have about you, all that is like a flower of the grass. And what happens every winter to the flowers of the grass? Miss June? A resident botanist withers away. Gone. First frost usually, but some people protect from, you know, and some flowers are hardy and they last. So by the middle of winter, that's all gone. And so it says, flesh is like grass and all its glory. Everything that you can do, all that you are physically capable of doing outside Christ and even inside Christ, all that your flesh can do, it's like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And so God's word, which is in us as the power to renew us and rebirth us and makes this all possible, right? Never dies, never runs out. I love that phrase that he uses there because what it literally says is remains into eternity. In English, we say abides forever. Remains means abides, like it continues, right? And the language he uses there is remains, meno, I might even know it all in my head, maybe, meno, ace, ionis, remains into eternity. Our bodies, not so much, thankfully a resurrected body when that time comes, right? The trees, such as we have it, no, all, all matter as we understand it will be represented, renewed completely in the new heaven and the new earth. But such as we are experiencing right now, all flesh is dying. And the best flesh can do, dying, fall off, wither away, be junk, no good anymore. You get the best praises that you possibly can, and no more. But there is something more. The Word of God which endures in us. We have become carriers of the Word of God, and it will be for eternity. And he ends with this. 
And this is the word which was preached to you. And this is the word which was preached to you. All right. So we're going to break this down a little bit and look at, I guess, some cautions and some things that are in here that we need to pay close attention to. The number one thing I think we should see in here, uh, and I don't know, maybe the number two thing is actually more important than the number one thing, but the first thing I'd like to say is don't spend your labors on men's good opinion. It literally does not matter what people think of you. It does not matter if they praise you. You are not living for encouragement provided by other human beings. Don't spend your labor. Don't spend your life. And this is what happens. If you start down a road and God has made you talented, God has made you capable, God has given you abilities, and you start down a road to do something, and then, yes, it's working. This is going well. I start thinking, I'm doing a good job here. This is working. So this must be what I'm supposed to be doing because, yeah, it's working, right? Or people start texting you, social media, stopping by your house, calling you, whatever, to tell you how good a job you're doing at that thing you're doing. You say, hey, this is it. I'm finally getting some accolades. I'm finally getting some praises, right? My life is coming together, finally spinning a web or a weave that I can recognize as good. God says, your best efforts, yielding the best accolades you could possibly ever get, are nearly worthless. Gold medals. There's a gold medalist. Uh, I, I sort of fell in love with her attitude. She's an American gold medalist at the Olympics in Tokyo right now. and She got a medal for uh, running, I think, the 400 meter and uh, she set a record, world record. She ran the 400 meter the fastest of anybody. She's an American. Her last name is uh, McLaughlin. And as they questioned her afterwards, she said, records will come and go, but only the glory of our God is eternal. And she said, that's something. She said, so I am now, and I'm messing this part up because I didn't have it memorized, and I don't need to memorize her words. But she said, so now I live my life for the one who deserves that glory, who died for us, proclaiming the name of Christ after getting a gold medal at the Olympics. There's an Australian woman right now who's a swimmer, and she is now, she got seven gold medals in the Olympics. And she wears a cap on her head that has the Christian fish on it, and then there's another cap, and it talks about, it has a, she's Australian, so she doesn't speak, her native tongue is not English, I don't remember what they speak down there, but anyway, and it says in her native tongue, for the glory of our God. You want accolades. You can probably get them. If you're willing to spend enough time, get enough money, and buy them. Did you know, you like, there's people in this room who are social media people, and some people are like, well, I got 400 followers on Facebook. Did you know that for 10 bucks on, on uh, Fiverr, you pay somebody 10 bucks, they'll get you an extra thousand. Then you could have 1,500 followers on Facebook for 10 bucks. Anybody got 10 bucks? Anybody want an extra thousand people who supposedly listen to what you say? This is the world we live in. You can get accolades. You can work hard. And people will go, and you can get proud about it, and you can be grateful, and you can go, God gave me the ability to do this, and I am so glad that I get accolades. Don't spend your labors on man's good opinion. That's what it says, because all of that, it says, all the glory of the flesh, anything you can get, any light you can get shined on yourself that's positive in any way, promotions, raises, 
your kids looking up to you, whatever, all of it, anything you can get in this world will be as a flower on the grass. And when the winter comes, gone. It's worthless. But notice I said almost worthless, right? Because those ladies are demonstrating to us, and there are many others, by the way, but demonstrating to us about how when they got their accolades, they said, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to give it to God. And if a light has shined on me, let, it, let me be seen shining a light on God. That's what that's for. Because the breath that he put in the dust of the ground to make Adam is the same in the lost people of this world as it is in the, same, in the saved people of this world. And so those people, if they, those people that are running in the Olympics and they're, they're not praising God, they're not giving glory to God. The very feats that they can do give glory to God because He is the one who created them. They just don't recognize it. They're not willing to understand. But if you can't hear it from me, hear it from Peter. Don't spend your labors on men's good opinions. The best efforts yielding the best accolades you could ever get, they're nearly worthless unless you can use every last bit of it to bring glory to God. I've been at so many meetings, I can't count them how many now, where they're pastors or ministry meetings or whatever, and, and, and people get up and they're MC in the meeting and they talk about how, how good so-and-so did, how much work so-and-so did or whatever. And I, and I try to always be careful, but I'm human, so I probably make mistakes, but realize they didn't do it. God did it through them. To God be the glory. Because any glory that we can achieve for ourselves. I went to a meeting and by the time I was done, I felt like I needed to go home and take a shower where one person over here was praising this person and then that person was praising this person. It was a praise fest. We're all sitting around talking about how awesome it, everybody in the room was. And three or four people did it to me. And then I didn't do it to anybody. And when they did it to me, I said, all glory to God. It ain't me. It's all glory to God. And I, didn't, and I tried not to take it, but three or four people did it anyway. By the time I left that room, I felt like I needed to go home and take a shower. How dirty do we wind up feeling when we get glory that belongs to God? You want some glory? I could go around this room right now and I could tell you, because I am way beyond proud of everybody that's in this room. I could walk around this room and tell you how awesome this person is and this person is and this person. I am way beyond. Like, like, if I made you myself, I couldn't be more proud, and I didn't. And yet, that is not what we are about. All glory goes to God. Amen. Don't spend your labors on men's good opinion, because should you get accolades, should you receive glory, unless you use it expressly for God's glory, it is utterly and completely worthless to you. And will eventually be burnt off like one of the sins and wickedness of this world before you can enter the kingdom of God. The second one, as I said, I, I like it more. I think it may be even more important. It's certainly getting down to the meat of the matter of what we can do. And that is this. Do spend your labors on loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know God says, love your neighbor as yourself. I also know in the parable that Jesus answered, when the man who was told, love your neighbor as yourself, he said, and he kind of justified himself, and he said, well, my neighbor, Lord, well, who is that? And then he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. And as he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, you get to the end there, and Jesus asks a question. And he says, okay, so who was neighbor to the man who fell on the road? He doesn't say 
the man who fell on the road is somebody's neighbor, right? And so who treated him with love as a neighbor? He says, who was neighbor to the man who fell on the road? He reverses it. So the man asks a question, who is my neighbor? Because he's trying to justify who does he have to love, right? Who should he be good to? And Jesus answers this question with a question. He says, who is a neighbor to the man who fell on the road? We need to stop asking ourselves, who is our neighbor? And start asking ourselves, when are we going to be a neighbor? Jesus was saying, when are you going to start loving? The whole, he said the statement was about loving. It wasn't about determining who to love, right? So I understand that. However, it's very clear here that Peter says, love the brethren. Love brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who we're being directed to love. Elsewhere it says, love all, starting first with the brethren. Right? And so I submit to you that when we go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he says, who was neighbor to the guy who fell on the road? Right? That is also an answer to his first question. Who is my neighbor? When he says, go and do likewise, do likewise the man who helped the guy on the road, go do likewise. Be neighborly, if you will. Be loving, be kind. You see somebody in distress, somebody's hurting, go take care of them, whatever, like that. So that's a command. Love others, right? They were created in the image of God, by the way. They are bearers of that treasure that God gave Adam that day when he brought him to life. And we are supposed to love them because they are bearing, if you will, if you'll take it this way, a part of the breath of God that Adam received. But here, Peter says clearly, spend your labors on loving the brethren. So that means the brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would submit to you, he is talking about the brothers and sisters in Christ that they knew. Right? He was talking about the brothers and sisters of Christ that are across the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Or the people that you meet in the street to be claimed to be Christians. He's talking about the brothers and sisters of Christ who were in the church that Peter was in. And so, you're supposed to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in your church. Notice, we get there through the pathway of a pure heart. Purify your heart. And as James said, you double-minded. See, we look at our church and the people in our church, and I'm going to be very transparent here if I, am, if I may for a moment. I want to guarantee you, and I'll use myself as an example, that I can find several things about myself that will make it difficult at various times for you to love me. Uh, one of those, for example, is I am somewhat disorganized uh, as an administrator. Okay? If you check my bag right there, you will find papers in there that have been there for six months. Some of them are on my to-do list. I work very hard to do what it is that God wants me to do, and I understand that sometimes that means things falls off the plate, and, that, and that's the way I choose to live. I put all the things that I think God wants me to do on my plate, and then I push hard sometimes to four in the morning. Sometimes maybe makes hard, my pushing makes it hard for my wife to love me, for example, sometimes, things like that. I do things that I think God wants me to do. I'm getting ready to go to camp and give up five days in the middle of a very trying time. We're, we're pressed as a family. I'm going to give up four and a half, five days of my life to go and do that because I think that's what God wants me to do. And there may be things that I get done there that I wouldn't get done otherwise, but I don't know God's plan fully. All I know is I'm going to do that. So that's an example. of. How, so people have called me up and say, how can I help you? And I don't have an answer. Because I'm not organized enough to say, this is what's really messing me up right now. This is what I really need to pull, you, for you to pull for me on. Because 
I can't tell you how many people say, well, what can I do for you? And I don't have an answer. Okay, so that part of me stretches you. If you want to love me, it's going to make it harder. Because you say, well, I'm just going to let him go then because he doesn't have an answer. But if you really want to love me, then you're going to try to find a way. If we go around the room, there are different people in here. There's loud people. Loud people are hard to love because they get loud. And then it scares meek people, which we generally are meek people when we're trying to love. So the people get scared, right? There, there are reserved people, who people who don't speak up. They don't say what's going on. They don't walk in the light or whatever. So it's hard to love them because you don't know what to do. How do I go love that person? Because they're not telling me anything. I don't know what they're going through. I don't, they can't, you can't even pray for them other than generically because they won't tell you what to pray for. People are people. They're messy by extension. <laughs> and so they're busy with their own plans. They're dealing with their own fleshly desires and, and beating those things off with a stick, hopefully, and living for the Lord. They don't have time to make it easy for you to love them. And yet, Peter commands us, stretch yourself out as necessary to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. If indeed you have purified your heart, your, the center of your being, you double-minded. Okay, so what's the mind? So I, I want to love them, but there's a part of me that says it's too hard. There's a part of me that says I can't overcome the barriers. There's a part of me that says, well, they won't tell me anything. They don't answer my texts. They don't answer my phone calls. I don't know where they're at or what they're going through. By the time I heard about it, it was already over. Or I would have done something. There's a part of us that realizes that it's going to be difficult. And instead of pushing past the difficulties, you really want to love somebody, go stand on their porch until they tell you how you can love them. You really want to love somebody? Call them, text them, show up for them, be there for them, carry their burdens. Like, I, I took a guy the other day and I, I witnessed to him and everything. I took a guy to go get a part for his car because he couldn't work because he couldn't get out to where he was supposed to work. And so he come to the church building and said, can, can, you, can somebody help me? And I'm like, yeah, I can probably help you this afternoon. I took him. And as, I'm, as we get afterwards, he cashed his check and he go buy the part, whatever. He insisted that I take some money to put gas in the tank. I'm like, no. And I, so we're arguing back and forth. I'm like, no, I want to serve God. I, want to. I said, you come and you put it in the offering plate on Sunday if you want to give it. And so ultimately, we're, after a short argument, but not a bitter argument, we weren't mean to each other, where he's a professing Christian. By the time I'd already shared the gospel and he professed to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he also promised to be here. And if you ever listen to this or watch this on Facebook, you said you were going to be here today. But anyway, the point is, he, he promised he'd be here. And then when he got out of the van, I found the money. Because he was not going to not, even though I was not going to allow him. And that's where we should be. Stretch yourself out, he says, to love. In case you wondered whether or not this is a New Testament teaching, whether or not it pervades all that the church is, whether or not it is a thing that God calls us to do, that he makes it possible for us to do, to extend ourselves this way to love others, he says it this way elsewhere, First Peter uh, I think it's uh, 2.17. But anyway, he says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious. That means there should be no strife between us. Sympathetic, that means care about each other, what they're going through, etc. Brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. That's what the church is supposed to be like. And then, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Those two come from Peter, but now over in Hebrews 13.1, let love of the brethren continue or remain or abide. In Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Again, talking to the church, about the church, in the church, the church you have, the church you know, your local church, this people. And he says, give preference to one another in honor. 
In other words, lift the other people up. It's what they want and need in Christ is more important than what you want and need. Ouch. Jesus said it, in case there was any question, John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Remember Ectonos? Stretched out to love the brethren. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then John says it this way. You remember John, right? The guy who's walked with Jesus. Yeah. He says it this way. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, that's talking about in the church, and sister, is in the darkness until now. Remember Jason's illustration from it? I was laughing. You want to be in the darkness? Just spend time mad, angry at your brother or sister in Christ. Hang on. You say, but that's not hating. Well, Jesus says, when you're angry at your brother or sister in Christ, it's the same as martyr. Are you angry? Have you been angry? Stretch your mind a little bit for a second. What about your wife? If she's a Christian and you've ever been angry at your wife, or what about your husband? If he's a Christian and you've ever been angry at your husband, what about your child? They're disrespectful. But if they're a professing Christian walking the Lord and you've been angry at them, this is this. It says, if you say you are in the light, yet hate or have anger toward your brother or sister, you are in the darkness until now. The one also who loves his brother or sister is in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Get this. We talk about falling down, stumbling, temptations, and distraction. You could get everything out of you, John, that might make you stumble. You may remember a sermon from a couple of months ago, Old Testament sermon, where it talked about one of the responsibilities that were asked for, the high priest was before God and getting access to the throne room, one of the responsibilities we're asked to do is to govern this. John tells us here how to govern this. You want to get anything that might make you stumble out of this here? Then love your brother or sister in Christ. Agape love. Choose to love them even when they seem unlovable. Ectanus love. Right? Stretched out. Push yourself. We push ourselves in physical exercise. We push ourselves in entertainment. We push ourselves in relationships that we desire, or we push ourselves on the job to get a raise or a promotion. We push ourselves in sports to become stronger, to build muscle, to overcome fat. We push ourselves, we push ourselves, we push ourselves. Now, push yourselves in this, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so doing, John says, eliminate anything in you that might make you stumble. That's good stuff. But, he continues... The one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, I'm fully aware that the idea of darkness is often the idea of ignorance. So I am dispelling the myth today. Let us not be ignorant. We are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Period. And this is directed at our home church. Don't kid yourself. I understand we are called to love outside the church. I'll get back to that in a minute. 
But Peter was writing to people in his church and to other churches about loving the people in his church and about them loving the people in their church. Despite whatever might get in the way, and to do so fervently, stretch out, push yourself. Love one another. One passage of Scripture we'll go there and read. If you're following in your Bibles, you can, this is the second one we'll flip to, and then we've got one left. 1 John chapter 4. I'm not going to break down every verse. I'm just going to read. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That means made known. That God has sent His Son, His one and only begotten Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, that means the payment, totally erasing, getting rid of it, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. Ouch. So, I'm not going to say if you don't love one another that God doesn't abide in you, but I wouldn't want to risk it. And that's the problem. I think a lot of people are risking it. If we, want, if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit in us. This is how we know that we belong to Him and that He lives in us. And we have beheld, that means we've seen, and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him, and He in God. And those two things, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God and loving one another, they must go hand in hand because we just found out that if you don't do both, you don't abide in God. Or at least you may not. 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So this is how we know. God's love is perfected in us. We have confidence in the day of judgment. When that day comes, we will be fine. We'll be okay. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. How often is this verse quoted about us not fearing God because we love God and because God loves us? But listen to the context of what he's actually saying. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. In other words, if you fear God, you are not perfected in love. If you fear your brother or sister in Christ, you are not perfected in love. If you do not love your brother and sister in Christ, you may have fear. And this is what happens. I have seen this happen. I have done it myself. I won't even talk about what you do, even though I've seen us do it collectively and individually and whatever. But I have begun to, I have begun to ask myself, okay, I haven't talked to them for a while. I wonder how they're, they're feeling about me. I wonder what they're upset with me. They're not returning my texts. I say hi and they don't say anything back. I wonder where they're at. Why are they like that? Listen, you don't have time to ask those questions because you are supposed to be loving that other person who's in your church that you're having a problem with so much 
and so continuously that you don't have time to ask why they're behaving the way they're behaving. That's just a stumbling block that you don't need. You should be loving them. Thinking about how you can love them. Stretching yourself to love them. Verse 19. We love, it does not say we love him. People always quote this verse incorrectly. Not always, a lot of people have. It says, we love because he first loved us. That's what it says. It does not say we love him because he first loved us. It says we love. In other words, and, and the verb there means we have begun to love, we are now loving, and we will continue to love because he first loved us. This is your job. This is the thing that you are supposed to be doing. In doing that thing, there are things you cannot do. You cannot be critical or negative about other people if you are actively loving them. You say, well, I'm not critical or loving them about them. With them. I'm critical about what they did. You double-minded? You're trying to give yourself a reason not to say loving things. You're trying to give yourself a reason to say something that is not loving about somebody that you're supposed to be loving. Purify your hearts and just love them. Just be good at loving them. Just be working hard at loving them. That's it. We love because he first loved us. Now that's a motivator. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, and listen to me, any action that is contrary to love, anything that is not actively loving is hate. If someone says, I love God and, lo and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. All in the context of what the church is supposed to be, love. So now, let us step aside for a minute before we get our last point and get a few practical directions on how to love. I told you we we're going to do some application. Number one, everybody has a love language. I'm not talking about some cool book that they sell at the store, five love languages or whatever. What I'm saying is everybody has a way that they will be loved. They have a way that if somebody does a thing or says a thing or is a thing for them, that they're going to experience love. Okay? For me, every time I think about the crucifixion, I just want to kind of melt in a puddle on the floor and ball for what Jesus went through for me. That is an amazing testimony. This is love that a man might lay down his life for his friends. That is an amazing height of love, but it certainly is not the only way, and thankfully because otherwise we'd all be dead. Because we're commanded to love now this way, and if you did it just once, you'd be dead. You'd be gone, and there would be no church, right? Except there might be a lot more church because there would be the people after us who come and do it too, but then there would be no church again because they would all be dying. So we'd be dying just as fast as we're loving. Thankfully, there are other ways to love. So love. Love, you must Learn to speak that person's love language. In a marriage, if you love your wife, if you love your husband, you need to figure out how they feel loved. Okay? It's not how you want to love them. It's not how you can best love them. It's not the directions or reading a book or whatever that expresses love in a bunch of different human languages like you, my amore, you know, or, or whatever. It's not romance. Okay, Now, there is a fa factor in romance of spending quality time, caring enough to s do acts of service, things like that. But the picture of romance that's in most books, not love. Okay, 
but you can look at your husband or your wife and you say, what do I need to do? In the book, Five Love Languages, they talk about things like uh, encouraging or loving words. So you have to express verbally your love for that other person. And some people, that's how they feel loved. And if you don't say I love you to your wife or to your husband, if that's how they feel loved, they will not feel loved. You are not doing your job as a spouse if you're not doing it that way. But then let's, let's take it away from spouses for a second. We're talking about everybody in the church. Don't be surprised, man, if I don't walk up and go, you know, I love you. I love you like I love my wife. No, it's a different kind of thing, right? But you might say some things that clearly indicate that you love that. I really appreciate you. I want to worship alongside of you. I want to serve with you. Will you come serve with me? How can I help you? Let's talk about it. This is what I read in the Bible. What, you say some things. And it may take physically showing up and doing some things. Some people, it's acts of service. They don't feel served. They don't feel loved. Right? If you don't do something for somebody, they don't feel loved. Some people, it's hard to do anything for them at all. Bottom line is, you need to work to find out how the people that you're supposed to be loving, and I'm going to be very blunt and very straightforward about that. This would be Karina, Josh, Ron, Jason, Arden, RJ, Sherry, Tim, Tony, June, Michael, Jamie, Aaron, Caitlin, uh, Ricky, Amalia. Who else is over there? Help me. I'm missing somebody. What? Tony Tate, Alicia, thank you. These are the people that you're supposed to be learning their love languages. These are the people, and there are more, right? Miss Chris is online with us today. There are other people in the church who couldn't be here today, whatever, but you should obviously be able to see with your mind the people that are in this room, and you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to be asking yourself, how can I love them in such a way that they will know I love them? If you can't do anything else, send a card that says I love you, make a call that says I love you, whatever, but do something. Because if you don't, according to John, you are walking in the darkness. You are ignorant of what it means to be a follower of God. You say, but that's just not me. I don't care. Do you think it was Jesus to hang on the cross, nailed and bleeding to death? Do you think it was Jesus to get whipped within an inch of his life? I tell you that his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane shows us that it is, was not. He prayed, Father, if it can be, take this cup from me. He didn't want to do it either. But this is the love that we are called to. This is it. We're busy spending our money on ourselves. We're busy trying to make our place nice to live. We're busy doing, trying to do well on our jobs. We're trying to figure out how to raise our kids if we have them or how to get away from kids if you don't like kids or whatever. You're trying to figure out how to, you're supposed to be loving the people in your church as the preeminent, most important single thing, so much so that you will not get all the stumbling blocks out of your body if you do not love them, so much so that you will not be found standing in the light of Jesus Christ if you do not love them. You cannot do it any other way. Step one, you must figure out each person systematically over a period of time, you must figure out how they will feel loved and love them that way, thereby empowering them to do the same thing. Secondly, Scripture talks about bearing one another's burdens. At the very least, at the very, very least, you should be praying for your church. And if you don't name every person that you know in the church, I'm not going to hold that against you, and I don't think God is either. But at the very, very least, you should be praying. And when you say, my, my daughter Ariana is fond of saying at, at meals, she prays for us a lot of the time, and she'll say, Lord, 
please heal our sick and hurting, or what is, what's the exact phrase she uses? I can't remember now. That's terrible, because I've heard it a hundred times. The bottom line is she says, please heal the... That needs to be the people in the church, right? It's not the Stevensons. We don't pray for the Stevensons to be healed. We're praying for y'all to be healed. We're praying for us to be healed too. We're praying for our church people. You say, now you're beginning to sound a little bit prejudiced. Our church against the world. I didn't write the Bible. This is Peter's words and John's words. Brotherly love. It's Christian's love. It's Philadelphia. It's the church love. This is us as the church loving the church. You say, but my cousin, my uncle, my spouse, my daughter, my friend, my brother, my wife, whatever, she's not part of the church. I didn't decide that. God did. So if you want to hear me say that you need to love the people in the church as much or more than you love your family members who are outside the church, I'm going to say it right now. You need to love the people in your church as much or more than the people you love who are outside the church. You say, but, but I made a commitment. I, it's my family. It's my blood. It's my brother or sister. It's my cousin in California. Where I got to love them because they're family. You're breaking up my family. Jesus said that a daughter would be against her mother-in-law, that a man would be against his father. The gospel does this because the church comes together and loves one another more than they love the rest of the world. It's not me. Do I like it? Not always. Is it a fact? Always. Are you supposed to love those other people too? Yes. Absolutely. But is there an order here? Is there a choice here? We carry the burdens of the people in the church. We, we learn the love languages of the people in the church. And this one will hurt you more than anything because it hurt me bad. You need to consider them and their preferences and their troubles and their difficulties more important than your own. Ouch. That's hard. That hurts. If we really walk that out, we're going to lose our individual identity. We're going to stop being Dan, Mike, and Jamie, Arden. And we might we might need a new name. A name that represents all of us. A family name that is all of us. Maybe we'll be New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. That would be good. That's the name. That's the name that we believe that God gave us. And we can stop being the Stevensons, the Wellingtons and the Mitchells and start being New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. But you're like, but that person over there doesn't like the things I like. You want me to like the things they like? No, I don't care what you like. You like what you want to like. What it says is that you have to put their preferences before your own. So you don't have to do necessarily what it is that you want to do. But I'll tell you this, I love Ariana. And when she asked me to play a game... 99% of the time, unless I am specifically doing something for the Lord or hearing from the Lord or whatever, I, I am bent to try to play a game with her because she's my daughter, because I love her, because her preferences are important and because it distracts her from her phone. And I know that's good for her. 
Are you ready to put the preferences of other people in your church? And, and when you do, you will be in the light of the Lord and there will be no stumbling in you. Until you are ready to do that, I think we probably best stop moaning about how often we screw up. Stop complaining about how I slip and I sin and I have to repent and I keep, underst I keep not understanding why I can't just stop falling down on my face. The last one I'll give you that's practical is you have to persist in prayer, but not only in prayer, in service and giving, encouragement and accountability. That's probably the hardest one. Becoming a living example of the love of Jesus Christ. And before we say it's going to be a little too hard for us to love this way, the people in our church, I want you to understand and I needed to understand this myself, that Jesus loved this way and became the head of our church almost 2,000 years ago before any of us were even born. And He could do it. And when we committed to be His followers, we committed to be like Him. And I understand it can be a work in progress and you're pursuing righteousness like we talked about recently in a recent sermon a couple weeks ago. But the bottom line is the righteousness that we're pursuing is loving one another. It's wrapped up heavily in there and you'll be in the darkness until it becomes your highest priority. Okay, we're going to conduct a quick object lesson. It won't take long, but everybody's going to participate. So if you're distracted, that ended just now. All right, so here we go. Everyone's going to participate in this object lesson. I need one person in the room to volunteer to be the center of attention just for a moment. Any one person. Be strong. Okay, you don't have to get up. You can stay right there. Take your seat. Okay, now, on the count of three, everybody ready? Are you with me? On the count of three, I want everybody to move at least one seat closer to Jason. Right now. When you get to go back, you'll go back to your seat. No one's taking it away from you. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm, somebody, somebody in their thought was, I don't want to get up and move my seat. I'm saying, all right? You'll get to go back to your seat in a minute. This is just an object lesson, okay? On the count of three, everybody get and move at least one seat closer to Jason. Ready? One, two, three. Alright, so this is what the church looks like if we'd have come to church today thinking Jason needs encouragement, Jason needs support, Jason's going to be worshiping God, but he's going to have trouble worshiping God, and we might want to support him in that, okay? Alright, so somebody else be my volunteer now. Somebody else. Come on. Alright, Arden will do it. Alright, All right. so now, on the count of three, I want everybody to get up and move one to three seats closer to Arden. Minimum one, maximum three. Ready? One, two, three, go. <laughs> you feeling comfortable right now, Arden? He's okay with it. He says, I'm okay. All right. Okay, you can all go back to your seats. While you're doing that, I want to tell you a brief story. A friend of mine was a church planter in Europe in London specifically, which is a place that I can actually say I've been, which is really cool. And it was a church planter in London in, in downtown. And they had this big old church building and it had seats for 200 people in it, 300 people, something like that. And they only had about six people coming on Sunday mornings. And he would preach the gospel and he preached his heart out. He became my Old Testament professor, one of them. Uh, and basically he was, he was probably the hardest professor I ever had. Memor I had to memorize tons of stuff. And 
And uh, it was really hard. But anyway, he was planning a church there. And one Sunday morning, they had a member family, or, or they had a visitor family come. And it was the first time they had ever come. Two, 200-seat auditorium, right? And uh, this family came in, and they sat down on the row, just about like 10 rows back, on the aisle, about 10 rows back. And, and there was five of them, a man, a woman, and three kids. And he was like super stoked. He was so excited to have them in the church because they, they really needed to grow the church. It was like six people, and it had been six people for a long time, and, and he really needed to grow. He was super excited that they came. And then a woman walked in the back of the room, and she's like 75 years old. And she had been coming faithfully. She's a giver, and she's speak out, serve. She was run the nursery or whatever. And it, it, as she was walking down the aisle, he realized that that family had sat in her seat. And he could see, now he was up doing announcements or whatever, he could see her walking toward them. And she walked up and she knelt down next to the woman who was on the aisle and then the man was next to her and the kids or whatever. And he, she must have said politely or something to the woman, I'm sorry, but you're in my seat. In a sanctuary full of 200 people, she said, I'm sorry, but you're in my seat. Well, they just politely got up and moved to a different seat and she sat there. And after church, she went up to them and she said, you know, I, I do want to say, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. I, I'm so glad that you were here today. I'm sorry that I asked you to move out of my seat. And they took her apology and whatever, and they left. But they never came back. The fact is that as the church is the church, most of the people in this room know what their role is in the church. Most of you know what your place is, like what you're doing, or you might be still growing, or, or you know, turning into something new or whatever. But you gotta, you got to start. you got to start. You know what you're doing. What if... You had to give all that up so that one person who is New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church could come in here on Sundays, could work in the church, and do it. Do whatever it is that you think you're supposed to be doing. Do it in your place. And you could walk alongside them, and you could encourage them, whatever. But what if you had to give up your spot? Could you? Would you? If you can't, According to John, you're still in the darkness. You say, but it's my calling from God. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. There's not room for two people. There's not room for you to lift somebody else so they could. What if, what if you could make that person 50% better than you could ever be by supporting them? What if you could make them 250% better? According to what John says, that's the way it actually works. I love God and I want to preach. But at the point at which the church thinks somebody else should do it, at the point at which somebody else comes and God says, you, they're going to do it instead of you, I hope and I pray that I will love them and I will let them because it's what God wants. Right now as I stand here, I don't know. But we better start growing and getting there. Otherwise, we just look like a bunch of people coming, sitting in the same seats, doing the same things week after week after week. And that is not the church. That's not what God has called us to be. Now, I know that the other side of this is that people begin to love each other, supposedly. They treat each other with respect and kindness and things like that. But they don't do anything of what the church is really supposed to do, which is bringing in people, which is sharing the gospel. And clearly, we are supposed to do that. And that brings us to our last point. And it'll go by fairly quickly. And that it is that God's word lasts into eternity. And the gospel, the truth about Jesus is it. 
I've read a number of books over the years. Um, I read a book uh, literally called The Romans Road. And the book called The Romans Road described the verses throughout Romans by which you could explain to somebody reading the Bible verses, by which you could explain to somebody the truth about Jesus. And it does a good job. It teaches them everything they really need to know about Jesus to be saved. I read another book called Share Jesus Without Fear. And Share Jesus Without Fear, you let them read the verses and you just kind of help them understand what it says and they can come to faith without a lot of challenges that way because you're asking them, okay, what, does, what is sin? What does it mean that we've all sinned? Okay, now over here it says the wages of sin is death. What is death? What's the bad you know, about death? Okay, what is wages? What does it mean then the wages of sin? Is? And you ask them like that. And you use the verses of the Bible to explain. I'm going to step on toes. I'm going to irritate somebody on Facebook. I may get a bad comment here or whatever. I'm here to tell you today that most of the gospel salvations that occurred in the New Testament church were not Bible. They did not break out. I know for a fact they did not break out John 3.16 or any New Testament and share the gospel with anybody in order for them to get saved. You know how I know that? You do if you think about it because it didn't exist. The New Testament did not exist. When Paul was traveling and ran into Jesus on the road, show me the verses that Jesus quoted to Paul to tell him that Paul needed to give his life to the Lord and transformed him. He didn't. The New Testament was being written. Now there is an allusion there, the kick against the goats in the Old Testament, so it's not entirely that it wasn't there, but the bottom line is the gospel, the truth of Jesus, when you say Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you can be saved. If you'll just give him your life and be born again and start fresh, he'll teach you how to do everything new and you can live for him for the rest of your life. That may not be any Bible verses at all, but it absolutely is the Word of God. It absolutely is the Bible. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You don't have to quote the Old Testament for somebody to understand who Jesus was. All creation testifies. There are now dozens of stories of people who got saved who didn't get saved through the church. They didn't get saved through a Bible. They were just in the wilderness going, man, something is weird here. I don't understand. And they say, God, if you're real, I'll give my life to you. I'll live for you the rest of my life. Because as I see this, I can't explain it any other way. And then they, later they read about Jesus and they go, oh yeah, I met him in the woods. Story about the young girl whose mom and dad killed each other one night and she's hiding behind the couch. And she goes to Sunday school and she sees a picture of Jesus on the wall and she says, who's that? And the lady said, or, or she said, uh, I recognize him. What's his name? And the lady said, well, that's Jesus. That's the person we're talking about. And she said, are you sure? Because I've met him. And you're talking about him like he would live 2,000 years ago or something. She didn't say 2,000 years, but a long time ago. She said, I've met him. And she said, well, where did you met him? She said, behind the couch. When I was hiding behind the couch and my mom and dad did what they did, he was there holding me. That's the guy. When we talk about Jesus, you talk about Jesus like a friend, talk about Jesus like somebody that loves you, talk about Jesus like somebody that fixed your problems, talk about Jesus like somebody that's with you every single day, and that's Bible. That's God's Word. That's the truth. We don't have to quote Bible verses. You don't have to know how to t read you know, the story of Nicodemus and explain it to somebody in order for them to get saved. The Gospel is the Bible. It includes it. And more. You say, well, I'm talking to somebody about not lying. And I'm trying to tell them they shouldn't lie. Well, first of all, if you're trying to teach them they shouldn't lie without putting Jesus in there, you're giving them an, a, a hopeless effort. 
But if you're teaching them to not lie, you're teaching them the Ten Commandments without quoting the Ten Commandments. You, we should be living word everywhere we go. Because that's how we were saved. That's how we got born again. But that's not what we're doing. We're doing a lot of good. But we're not making it about the message that God would bring these people. We should be like, every conversation, hey, you got 90 seconds for a word from God? And then you tell them. And if you've got to throw a Bible verse in, do it. But you tell them the truth of what God wants them to know. And then if they, if they get saved, they get saved. So, I mentioned earlier, we're supposed to love the church, like this text is telling us, and then love the world with the gospel. I know there's people that serve people in the world because that's, that's their love language. And so I want to love the world, so I'm going to go serve them. Or I want to love the world, so I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to hold up a sign. If the gospel isn't in it, it's not biblical love. Don't go offer to clean their toilets or fix their car or pay their bills. That's not what we're called to. When Jesus said, love the world, he meant, tell them about me. Now, if doing acts of service gives you the opportunity to tell them about him, then fine. But if you do acts of service without telling them about him, you are in sin against God. Because that's not love, it's actually hate. If you leave Jesus out of it while serving them, that's actually hate. You're making their lives better, telling them you're going to be okay when they don't know Jesus and you know they're going to hell. So basically you're saying, ride this out. You'll be in hell eventually, but you'll get through this. I'm going to help you. That's hate. That's not love. Bring the gospel. And then our final in our conclusion is from Psalm 34. And I am done after that. Psalm 34 says this. Beginning in verse 11, I'll read. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned." I'm asking you today, will you take refuge in the Lord? Be willing to love the others who are in the church with outstretched arms, suffering. Push yourself to the limits to love others and let God take care of you. If you're going to take care of you, then God doesn't have to, doesn't need to. But if you're willing to take care of the others in the church, then God will take care of you. 
That's what John and Peter understood. Love outsiders with the gospel. Love each other by the power of the gospel. Love God by His living word living in you. Love. Love because He loved you. Love because He paid the price. Love because He became sin and died to take our sin from us. Love outsiders with the gospel. Love each other by the power of the gospel. And love God by His living word in us. Love. Let me pray for you briefly and then we'll have a closing song. And I ask you to be thinking. Whether I got everything right or not, I ask you to be considering whether you're loving the people in your church the way God has called you to do. Let it be a light in the darkness. Jesus' love. Let Jesus' love be a light in the darkness. And when that love takes up center place in you, there will be no more darkness, no more stumbling, because you will be loving those in your church. We will love the world with the gospel. We will love God by his living word in us. And we will love the church through the gospel, by the gospel, and because of the gospel. Father in heaven, I am convicted today, for I have missed many opportunities. I know that I have loved the world with the gospel, but I have not been convicted. I have loved the church knowing the price that you paid and the standard that you set. I have loved your people. I, so I've been accused of being so pro-church that I am unrealistic as a Christian, but I do not believe that that is even possible. I believe that your people are called by you, saved by you, loved by you, led by you, inhabited by you, and when I say that, I'm talking about the church. And the whole New Testament was written by the church to the church. And read in the church. And the churches that were churches were churches because of the New Testament, which talked about the church. We are your church. Lord, help us be your church. Unleash the gospel truth in us. Father, I know it will mean getting outside our box. It will mean stretching ourselves. It will mean trying harder. Maybe even dying more. God, thank you for making that possible. And as we live in this life and learn to tame our temptations and maybe even dismiss them because we are about loving your people. Lord, I know that it's part of your plan that people outside the church would be jealous in a sense, that might not be quite the word, envious maybe, at least amazed at the love of your people. Jesus said that they would know us by the love we have for one another. God help us. Help us have the love and be known. Then let them come and join in with us. Let us love them too. For those who have been with us and have left us, Lord, let us ask the question and know where they stand. As much as I, I despise losing any relationship with anyone, Lord. If they're not with us, then they're not with us. And we're not with us because we're trying to be better, because we're trying to be rich. None of us are getting rich, God. We see that. But we're rich in kingdom, rich in your Holy Spirit, rich in your, in your gifts. 
Lord, your glory is all that matters. And we believe you can get that through your church and your people. If we stop being individuals and start being the church, on fire, fervently stretched out, loving one another, and leading people into that fellowship so they can do the same and so we can do the same for them. Help us, God. Help us turn to you again. Help us be the church that you really laid us out to be. Help us be out of the darkness and living in the light, caring enough about one another to show up and be the church. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask the praise team to come forward and lead us in our closing song. I ask you to address within yourself the Lord. Have you been loving this people? And if you can find, find an example in yourself the last month, for example, where you specifically were unloving or unkind and cared about your preferences more than some other, then I would ask you to repent for the and love the church. Can you stand with us right where you are and sing this song? Take it to the Lord. Let Him build you up. Let Him make you able.
You need to know who your brethren are. So sometimes I, I struggle knowing for sure who the church is. And there are some of us who are maybe out there on the raggedy edge, facing real difficulties. And, and you don't always know who those people are. And if you need that, uh, you come to me. Uh, you come to Brother Tony. Uh, although the truth is, we don't always know. And sometimes there's work that you need to do. But you might you say, well, I, I know a brother or sister who used to sit in the chair, but I don't see them. And I don't know exactly where they stand. You reach out to them and you say, are you the church? Okay? Are you the High Scholarship Baptist Church? Is this your home church? And if they say, yes, it is, then number one, you can say, okay, look, I want to love you. And I'm having a hard time doing that because you're distant. So tell me, how can I love you? Yeah? What are you afraid of? They might ask for a few bucks. If they ask you for $500 and you feel specifically led of the Lord to get it, then don't. Well, don't give them a cent if you don't feel led to by the Lord. But if you feel led to by the Lord, you've got to well better do that because then God's going to replace it and more. God's going to reward you for your, for your faithfulness. Right? But if it's time, if it's encouragement or whatever, then let's do that. Reach out. You say, but that's not my personality. I think you covered that ground. So if you know somebody that's missing, and if they say, no, I'm not, then guess what? Then you can mark them off your list. I mean, that's very free. You don't want, nobody wants to mark anybody off the list, but you can do that if you know somebody is not the church. You can mark, you are required, required by God, as we have just learned, to love the people in your church. Extending yourself even unto death or destruction beyond your ability to do so. That's what scripture says is required of us. Outside the church, we love with the gospel. If you have somebody you're serving, you're loving on them, and they're not a Christian, and they're not interested in hearing the gospel, get this. You don't have to do that. If they are anti-Christ, anti-gospel, you don't have to. You can do it, and by doing it, you may gain some opening to the gospel. And so if you feel led of the Lord, then definitely do that, so that you can, you can show the gospel with them. But you don't have to. And if they get mad at you because you won't serve them, you don't have to address that. Say, I'm sorry, I'm serving the Lord and the Lord's people. I don't have, I don't have the time, or I, I don't feel like this is something I'm called to do. And so they, they will deal with their issues themselves. If they don't want to let God, that's what they're going to do. So they've done in the past, and they'll do it again. They'll deal with their issues themselves without you even in the equation. But if you can bring the gospel, bring the gospel. Then maybe you can bring them to church. But if you're serving them without the gospel, that's probably sin. And so don't do that. Okay? Anybody else have a word you'd like to share? Convicted me. Go ahead. I just uh, want to confess that I think, I've been guilty in the past of uh, being too judgmental, like uh, thinking everything was about me, and I get offended because I think too much sometimes. And I uh, just want to confess that out in front of everybody. I think there was sometimes we have problems, and that guy did it. He was thinking too much sometimes. I did. I get offended, uh, you know, at, at other people even in the body that doesn't think yeah. too much. Yep, you do. You're right. They, they say that the, the mind produces over a hundred statements every minute. We have over 100 self-thoughts every minute. And um, we don't hear most of them. We don't even realize we're doing it. And that's why when the Bible says, prayer without ceasing, I know it's actually possible. Because even though I, I don't do it, I should. I, I, do, I always try to do better. But you can pray without ceasing because you can literally be thinking prayers all the time and kind of subconsciously thinking them while you're doing everything that you're doing. See, Luke, when it says pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean pray a lot or pray often. He literally means without ceasing. You can do that. And that's one of the ways. And if you have a thought in your head that says, I think so-and-so is trying to hurt me, or I think, you can you may realize it may not even be you. It can be an evil spirit that's trying to get you to be offended with that person. 
that, just because it starts with the word I, that's nothing. I is just a word. Evil spirits can speak I just the same. Like, you when you're least expected sometimes, yep. when you're just relaxing, and you say, oh, he's at rest, let's go remind him of what this person did. Yep. So you can sit there and mull over it over and over and over again in his head until finally yep. it pours out. And for me, it's worse. It works because I, what happens is I anticipate what I think people are going to do. So then I'll say, well, if I say this, they're going to get mad at me. Or if I say, if I say this, they're not going to serve, or they're not going to help, or they're going to, you know, they're going to have something they have to say back, or whatever. And again, that's evil spirits. You just do what you have to do. You have to love on them a certain way. You go stand on their porch and say, okay, I'm going to love you. How can I do it? You know, you're going to do that. People sit overnight for concert tickets and new release video games and books and stuff like that. But we won't go sit and wait for somebody to show us how to love them. We can do it. We can go as far as we need to go. So if there's somebody you think is unlovable and they're in your church, agape love means the the more you think they're unlovable, the more you are commanded to love them. Straight up. Good stuff. Anyone else? Alright. Brother Mike, would you close us in prayer then? Uh, And uh, we'll go and be the church. Father God, we want to take this time to come together and worship you and learn more about you. God, we'll take you to the country. We don't have the heart. God, I pray we be the light that we're supposed to be. And we go out into the darkness and not be afraid because we know you're there. Yes. God, I pray we be the loving people you created us to be. Yes. Or we're commanded to be. And you go and do that and be fearless in doing so. Yes. God, fearless, we go to this place, not for anything then. Be there for and be the church. Yeah. <laughs> You're blending your conversation. I get my, I get my, whatever. My kids. Uh,